the setting of this is really interesting. What happened is they're having a conflict. Hey, listen, at teen camp, the teens were there, and some of those who had been visiting, the Pastor Kim was working with some of the wrestlers, they decided they were at camp as well. And so the uh, Vince uh, Sawyer was our speaker. He's a big dude. He talked about some of his wrestling in one of his illustrations. So then it naturally became, you know, with all this, you know, this male talk about wrestling and stuff like that. They, they wanted to do some arm wrestling. Now, I learned a long time ago, I don't arm wrestle. I learned at one of the teen camps years ago, not here but elsewhere when I was running one, I learned that you don't arm wrestle anybody because that girl beat me badly in front of everybody else. So I don't arm wrestle, but Pastor Sawyer was, okay, yeah, and he took on a couple of these guys, and not at the same time, but he took them on one-on-one, and it was fun. It was an okay occasion. But when the arm wrestling, the arm twisting, gets into a church where it's not for fun, but it's really trying to show who's in charge, and in a spiritual sense, then it's not so fun. And then it can destroy a church. And that what was, was happening in the Church of Rome. The Church of Rome was having people in the church that were, they weren't just arm wrestling spiritually, they started throwing punches spiritually. And they were starting to, tra- to attack each other. Let's set up the scene. For those of you who weren't with us this morning, here's what is happening. Here's what the whole tenor of it is. And we'll continue then in the study of Romans chapter 14 in particular. The issue is this. The issue is that a lot of people were getting saved in that Church of Rome. There was people who had Jewish back there was people who came from a Gentile background. And as they came to know Christ as their Savior, they found new freedom. They found freedom in Christ where they were no longer under bondage to the rules and all of that system of Judaism that had many of them had grown up with. Where there were so many rules and so many complications that not anybody knew exactly all the rules and all the additions that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were adding on a regular basis that was overwhelming. That Jesus called, that he he said that you are under these burdens, under these yokes, that Paul talked about being enslaved by all the rules and regulations from a church, telling people you had to do this or had to do that, you have to follow and keep us happy or you won't be saved. And there's even churches that do that kind of thing today, that they impose all these regulations. Well, then there's others, the Gentiles, who were in fear of the multiplicity of gods. They were in fear that if they did something wrong and they looked at every little nuance in society, if their, if their crops failed in any which way. If there was a bad storm, it had to be one of the gods was upset. One of these gods who, by the way, in their system, the gods were very, very uh, flighty. They have all these different mythological gods that they could be vindictive or vengeful. And so they were, they were under this constant terror spiritually. They come to know Jesus Christ and there's freedom. Freedom from rules. Freedom from fear. Freedom from uh, the, the, uh, the fear of death. Freedom from just understanding that they can have a walk with the Lord. They don't have to fear God. That God is a loving, gracious, kind Father that we can call Abba. And so many of them were getting saved and they were finding this newfound freedom in Christ. So it wasn't long before Satan got busy in the church, not just outside the church. And he started infiltrating the church with groups of people that started saying, wait a minute, there are some rules you have to keep on top of believing. They were the legalists. They were saying that you had to keep the feast days that the Jews, that were stayed in the Old Testament. You have to eat the same foods that were stayed in the Old Testament. You have to practice all the rituals that were in the Old Testament and plus believe in Jesus Christ. And you have to observe certain days and certain calendar events or you're not saved. The legalist. The legalist who today in modern America, they would be the ones that say, oh, if you don't wear certain clothes, then you lose your salvation. If you, uh, if you don't attend church X amount of times, then you can't be spiritual. If you 
you don't do whatever they say. If they might say you can't, you can't have certain entertainment in your home. You can't have a TV. So if you have a, a TV in your home, that whatever they choose and pick, all of a sudden that becomes the rule and regulation. And in the Bible days, it was very predominant. It's called legalism. But there was also another group. Satan's clever. He has pendulum swinging all the time. So you had some legalists, but you had those who were what we would call, they, they preach this doctrine of license. I'm saved, and as long as I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to do. Anything goes because I'm saved. So there's, there, as a Christian, I got saved. I can't lose my salvation. Therefore, I can just live any way I want. I can live in immorality. I can live in excess. I can live in greed or wantonness. I can do all those things, and I'm saved. And both of them are wrong. The whole book of Galatians is written about that very thing. To challenge, to say, hey, listen, it's, it's not either one of these extremes. It's right in the middle, realizing that we're saved by a walk with, in faith in Jesus Christ, but when we have a walk in faith with Jesus Christ, we don't want to live to ourselves. We want to live to the glory of God. We want to live pure lives. Why? Because the Spirit of God that's within us. That's called liberty. Walking that in that sense. So in the New Testament, God has the writers condemn both of those extreme views. Multiple passages that deal with it. That say you can't. You know, these rules and regulations that people put on you, they don't make you spiritual. You know, they they aren't when they when they tie that. For instance, we have rules and regulations that are for appearance in the sense or representation. We have some that say, okay, there's an, uh, an attire. For instance, for the staff, we have that, an attire at times. That rule and regulation has nothing to do with the spirituality of the person. Now, if I were a legalist, I would say, if you wear a tie, now you're spiritual. Okay, That's, there's a difference between having a standard and making it a legalistic thing. And so he, the New Testament talks about that and challenges that and say, listen, don't make these spiritual quotas and, and implications and challenges and the other idea of you, you, can't, you can't just live in sin. And so the New Testament epistles not only attack that, but the New Testament epistles then explain there are a whole lot of different rules set by God that we have to observe. We listed a whole bunch from this morning. Don't lie, pay your taxes, be pure, be holy in speech, forgive others, um, be baptized, have prayer, read your, the Bible, lots of things that are commanded in the New Testament. Then the issue becomes, okay, in, in some of these areas, certain doctrines as well. They are very clear. They are, they are right out there. The deity of Christ, the resurrection. So that's the New Testament. Explaining a lot of those doctrinal, those moral positions that are not up for debate, not up for discussion. If a Christian were to come along and say, well, you know what? I, I'm not so sure. I see that if the words are, he's the only begotten son, so I think maybe he's not God. Well, John says that if somebody comes along and preaches that Jesus Christ is not God, come in the flesh, you're not supposed to bid him welcome. Okay? And so there's, there's very strong statements about certain things that are very clear, very evident, very specific and detailed. And by obliging them and recognizing them, we're not saying it's legalism, it's just obedience to the Word of God. And yet there's a whole bunch of issues that aren't spoken about in the Bible. And those are the issues that as time goes on, they become more involved. They, the discussions get in. The attire changes over a period of time. The, uh, the cars or transportation changes over a period of time. So what about this type of transportation? What about this type of attire? What about this entertainment? Okay, what about, you know, what about using this type of devices? Is that right? Is that wrong? What about instruments in church? Okay, what 
what does the Bible say? And it doesn't say. It doesn't talk about, we noticed this morning, you know, it doesn't specify, okay, is it wrong to, you know, do the scarring that's in some cultures very, very evident. And so he gives a number of life principles. Principles that he says in whatever culture you're in, whatever age you are, you have to live by these life principles. We spent time on that this morning. I'm not going to repeat it. But the individual later, the individual has to make some decisions on their own. This is a doctrine called the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer teaches basically this. You, beyond those specific stated commands, you choose what you want to do. You can have whatever. Matter of fact, churches can choose their own standard for some things that they may say, well, this is what we're going to have for those participating. That's their choice. There's the priesthood of the believer that, that I think is a very, very important doctrine that says this. What you determine for your family in your home we should respect that. It should be up to you. What entertainment do you determine as long as you are comfortable with those passages of scriptures that talk about holiness and purity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we pointed out this morning. So it's not up to me to stand up here and to give you a list of, okay, these are the shows you can watch. These are the entertainment devices. These are the type of computers you can use. This is the type of clothing you can wear. That's excessive in my mind. In fact, it says in Second Timothy, where in First Timothy chapter uh, two where he's talking about ladies adorn themselves with modest attire. There's your, there's your principle. Modest attire. And it talks about ladies, you choose what you're going to adorn yourself. My job? Preach the principle of modesty. Preach the principle of having attire that fits where he says it's modest in that passage and it's appropriate for you. Uh, you I preach that principle. You have to determine and then with your spouse or whoever's input and advice you get, you determine that exact attire, color, style, whatever. That's your choice. That's not my business to be saying, okay, here's this, the clothing you need to be wearing. And so respecting that priesthood of the believer, that is what was promoted in the New Testament. It requires you to do some Bible study, you to do some thinking, you to be evaluating and making some of those decisions. And it ensures that you are determining before God what is good for you and your family. This opens up Pandora's box in the churches because you have some people who want to have everything listed out black and white. Give me a list of what I'm supposed to do. Give me a, give me a, you know, a grocery list of what clothes I can wear, what I can't wear. No, you have to decide that before you and God. Give me what entertainment. No, you have to decide that before you and God as long as it doesn't violate those principles of purity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so in the New Testament, what happened is they had a big problem that showed up in the, in the church. In Romans chapter 14, he starts alluding to this. He says that some of you are having problems down in chapter 14, verse 2. One believes that he may eat everything. You see that in chapter 14, verse 2. And another thinks you can eat only herbs. So you have this, this whole distinction of what foods should we eat? What is appropriate for a Christian to eat? And he's going to talk about that. And he makes some comments. And you jump down a little bit further in the passage. Look down to verse 5. One esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day to be the same. It's not, okay, certain days should be observed and, and um, you know, certain shouldn't be observed and becomes, okay, what, you know, should we recognize certain holidays and different events? And that became an issue in the church. And so they had this problem and he writes and he says, now because of this problem, some of you I'm going to consider weak and some I'm going to consider strong. And he writes to those individuals and he talks to them. Now here's questions, just to throw this out. Do we have the same type of conflicts within churches where people want to and have differences over different personal standards. We do. We do. They show up frequently. They show up in simple things. 
For some people, playing cards is a problem. They don't think we should ever play with a deck of cards. Some people don't want to play with dice. Some think that ladies should wear hats to church. Some say that's not a problem. Some say, I'm not going to eat out at a restaurant on Sunday and make somebody else work. Some say, I'm not going to play any sports on Sunday. Some will mow their lawn on Sunday. Some, some, we have some folk who will not come and have a church meal here at the building because they think that's inappropriate. Church shouldn't be about eating. It should just be about worship. Um, some will have an issue of jewelry. How much is too much jewelry? How much is you know, inappropriate? What about, what about makeup? Okay, and there's a whole variety of opinions. There's opinions on the tattooing. There's the opinions about instruments used. When I say instruments used, I'm not just talking in church, but even privately. Is it right or wrong for a Christian to play an instrument like a set of drums? Is it right or wrong for an instrument, somebody to play, oh, a saxophone has got to be an ungodly instrument because it's very jazz-oriented. And there are statements made by that. And, say, and folk hold to those types of things. When you go swimming, and I gave you my illustration about going to the shore, but then it opens up a whole thing. What about attire? What is the appropriate attire that when people get together to swim? What is the modest attire? What should be done? Should we or should we not have ties worn in church? Some of you would say, amen, absolutely, never, ever, ever. I'm amening with you to a degree. And others would say, well, you can't be, you know, you shouldn't ever come to church without a tie. Um, what's right? What's wrong? And some will take these to the point, uh, when I got saved, uh, or I finished seminary, I was offered a position to work in a church, but in order to work in that one church, I would have had to sign a statement that said, I will never ever have a TV. I will never go bowling. Because they chose to say that those things they felt were inappropriate activities, and part of that was based upon their, their setting of their, their community and what the community was oriented towards. But that's, those are some of the debates that can come on. I mean, it even goes this far that some Christians in churches like ours will say, well, if you're using a different translation for me, you're not using the right translation. If you listen to different music... And so where does this all, where do we come down in all of this? Where there's personal taste, personal choice, personal experiences, and what's right, what's wrong. So it becomes a problem. It's, it's a, let me see if I can illustrate this way. This preacher had this uh, opinion that he thought that, you know, certain things were wrong. Well, he knew in Scripture that Bible would advocate the idea of staying away from the alcohol and drunkenness. He knew in Scripture that based upon our body being the temple of God, probably the, you know, being addicted to cigarettes is not a good thing. So he knew that was wrong. But he had a personal opinion that he thought chocolate was wrong. How in the world? I don't know. But he had a strong opinion that chocolate was an inappropriate type of uh, something. Me? I think chocolate is one of the food groups. And so he had that opinion. So he preached a message. What he did is he put these four jars up, and in these four jars he put worms in them. Now I, I'm going to have to read it, or I'm not going to get it right. As he began his sermon, he placed four jars. Jar, he placed four worms into four separate jars. The first one was placed into a container filled with alcohol. The second worm was put into a container of cigarette smoke. The third was put into a container of chocolate syrup. The fourth was put into a container of rich black soil. He preached his sermons against all the sins, including chocolate, and uh, talked about it. at the conclusion of the sermon, he showed his congregation the following results. He pulled out the first worm from the alcohol, it was dead. He pulled out the second worm from the cigarette smoke, it was dead. He pulled out the third worm from the chocolate syrup, 
It was dead, but with a big smile on his face. Uh, it was, you know. And then he pulled out the worm that was from the clean soil, and it was alive. The minister looked at the congregation and says, so what have you learned from this demonstration? A little old lady in the back quickly raised her hand. She says, as long as you drink, smoke, and eat plenty of chocolate, you'll never have worms. I don't think that's quite, that's not quite where he wanted to go. <laughs> but point is, different people have different interpretations of that. And so the differences, why do they occur? Why do the differences in opinions, and we could say different cultures, different backgrounds, we talked about that this morning, different times. In fact, here's an interesting fact. You, how many of you have read Huckleberry Finn? Or Tom Sawyer? How many of you in your schools you were told to read it? Yes, no? Okay. In, uh, in the early years, back in 1905, the book was banned from New York City libraries because it was corrupting influence upon the lives of the children. Okay, and you look at it and go, what? Well, so they interviewed Samuel Clemens. Do you know who he is? He's Mark Twain. Here's what he said about his book that he wrote. I wrote Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn for adults exclusively. It has always been distressed me when I find boys and girls have been allowed to access them. The mind that becomes soiled in youth can never be again washed. Um, he didn't think that they were appropriate for kids. And yet in our society, aren't they considered one of the childhood classics? Yeah, the different societies. So sometimes it changes with age and changes with culture. Different upbringing. You, you, you have different family traditions. And sometimes those family traditions become religious traditions. And, and, and they taint the way we look at things. Different personal experience. We talked about that this morning. Differences in personal struggles that you may have a problem. I illustrated that this morning. The couple who had problems with credit card and controlling it, they got rid of the credit card and they just assumed everybody else should get rid of credit, credit cards too. Differences in what we were taught as believers. Some of you grew up in churches that taught the color red is totally inappropriate. Now everybody's looking around who's got red. Okay. Or if you, you know, if you have hair that comes, before I say it, comes over your ears, okay, it's inappropriate. Okay. Some of you were, we grew up in churches that if you wear any, any makeup whatsoever, it's wrong. Well, you get, you get uh, saved or you get walking with the Lord and you say, well, that, the Bible doesn't say that. But does that preaching from the past still haunt at times? It can. It can because it's, it was ingrained. And so that might be creating a problem. Different ages spiritually. Let's be honest with this. At different ages, do you keep things back from your kids? Yes or no? Do you, would you allow all your kids, no matter what their age, to be walking around with a scissor? Yes or no? no why, what age is, you'd say, definitely not, they're not having a scissor? 21 and older, okay? <laughs> no, you would say preschool, very limited, especially a toddler, not having a scissor. And then once you allow them to have the scissor, they have to hold it you know, in a certain, yes, no, I mean, didn't you go through this? Okay, you have them hold it a certain way. And it's only when they get to be our age that they can just flippantly do, do like this because we know what we're doing and we poke the person next to us accidentally. But different ages, isn't there a different set of regulations as time goes by? Yes, no? I mean, did you have, did you not, where the kids could play outside, did you not, as time went by, expand with their age and their abilities the perimeters of where they could play? 
even in the driveway or what they could do, or even as they got older, curfews would adjust based upon the maturity of the individual. Well, the same thing is true in some of these standards as we'll see as we go along. And so different likes, and let's be honest, a lot of, the, a lot of these things that we said that people have, they come down to preferences, what they like or what they don't like. Let, let, let's be frank. That preacher was more motivated with his illustration of chocolate more by his preference than by principle. With that in mind, I think I should do a whole message on the ills and the sin of coconut. Absolutely positively. But that would be purely my preference. And there's no Bible basis for that. So we have to be very careful, very cautious with some of those things. Why does God, you know, why do people, okay, let's rephrase that. What did, does God say to those who argue about these differences? There's a whole lot in Romans 14 and 15. Okay, just a whole lot, starting with chapter 13. And what he does is he talks about weak and strong. Now, here's the big issue. As he begins chapter 14, he's going to say, there's two of you here, and you're arguing over it. One of you groups are weak, and one of you are strong. And I want both of you to adjust the way you're, retreating, the way you're treating one another and the way you're reacting to these issues. My big question is, who's the weak ones and who's the strong ones? Because I want to make sure I'm on which camp. I want to be strong. I mean, not, who wants to walk around and say, I'm weak? We all want to be the strong person. And so we want to prove that we're the strong person. So let's go to the text and let's find out. Okay, by just an overview and just looking at it quickly, because we haven't gone verse by verse, but just let me jump into chapter 14, just overview quickly and jump back out. What's the difference between a strong Christian and a weak Christian when it comes to standards that they are establishing. The weaker in the faith. This is my overall observation. The weaker in the faith are individuals who are saved. They have a desire. Now again, these are both groups of spiritual people and they have a desire in their faith to grow and to serve Jesus Christ. But some are a little bit weaker than others. The weaker seem to have a little bit lesser of a Bible knowledge and a little bit lesser capacity for discernment. The reason I say that is if you look at chapter 14 14 down into verse 14. Down into verse 14 he's going to make comments. And the comments that he makes seem very simple, very plain to you and me. But he's writing and saying, hey listen, I know and I'm persuaded there is nothing unclean of itself. The meat isn't unclean spiritually. The vegetables aren't unclean spiritually. No days make you spiritual or unspiritual, but to him that esteems those things. Jump down to verse 17. The kingdom of God is not about meat and drink. It's not about what we take in physically. The kingdom of God is more about what we are spiritually, internally. Jump down, I think it's verse 20. For meat destroys not the work of God. That meat, there isn't something, and I go, there could be salmonella or something like that, and we're not talking about that. But meat in and of itself doesn't mean, okay, if I eat the meat, then you can't be spiritual if you eat pork. That, that he's already gotten rid of in the early part of the New Testament era. You, you can't be spiritual if you eat venison. Okay, and he's trying to define, he says, but the weaker people, they struggle with some of these externals and some of these specifics because of the association of eating that meat because it was associated with their past where they offered that, that food to a god who really wasn't a god, that's going to be his argument, and so they aren't tainted. By offering it at the altar, it didn't change the content of the meat and make it something, spirit, uh, something bad. They seem to have more of a problem with self-control. That is, they struggle with controlling their mind and body, and so because they're struggling, and this is a good thing, because they recognize they have a struggle, they put restrictions up. That's a good thing. 
It's a good thing. You as a parent recognize that kids need some, some prohibitions with the scissor. They need some prohibition of what they can do as far as control of what they can watch. Uh, you, you set up restrictions. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a matter that they're bad. It, it's a matter they're still weak. They're still growing. They don't have the same discernment. You're going to protect them. And so these weaker Christians, they had enough wisdom, enough discernment, enough desire to serve the Lord that they would say, here's a problem in my life. I'm struggling with... Um, I'm struggling with, let's pick, you know, I'm struggling with, somebody might got saved and they said, I'm struggling, modern day, I'm struggling with what I view. I used to view a lot of dirty stuff, the person says. And so I'm saved and I know I want to honor the Lord and I really have a problem with some of that fantasy thought, so I'm going to limit what I have in my house as far as internet or computer or access to it because it's a weakness in my life. There is nothing wrong with that person recognizing that weakness and putting restrictions up. In fact, they're very wise to do that. But what he's saying is you have a battle. This is your real battle. There's nothing wrong with somebody saying, I'm not going to go to the shore. Like I illustrated this morning. There's nothing wrong with saying that for that man who approached me to say, when I go to the shore, I get dirty thoughts. And so for him, that's a battle, that's a struggle. To recognize that weakness, say, I'm not going to go. That's a good thing. The bad thing was when... He imply, employ, implies that upon everybody else and says everybody has to do what he does. That's where the battle becomes. And so these people, they are struggling because they are more struggling with external things than internal. They are more, they are more persuaded by external influences than by the Spirit of God internally. Part of it is because they're growing. Part of it is that it's just that process that they haven't reached that spot, that point, that they say, okay, I've got this under control by the Spirit of God, and I don't need those external um, uh, rules and regulations and restrictions to help me. Now, the flip side. The flip side is the stronger in the faith. And Paul puts himself, he says, we that are stronger. So he puts himself in this category. Paul is saying the same thing. I, we, we too. We have a desire, the people, the stronger to serve Jesus Christ. It seems that they do a little bit more examination by the way he's asking questions. Have you thought about this? Is the meat really bad? Have you thought about, is that, is that day, that observant of that day, make you more spiritual or less spiritual? Have you thought about it? Uh, and so re-examining. Some of you have been there. I've been there. Okay, there's, uh, I'll give you an illustration. There was, uh, there was one of the ministries we were with. They had rules and regulations that they put up when they had a Christian day school there. And that ministry at Regeneration had these rules and regulations. And one of the things that they said that they aren't going to have is they're not going to have gum at the school. So it was a rule. It was a regulation. And they said no gum. And so sometimes we would show up on the missions trips and we would be there. And one of the rules that we had when we first started going out there is tell the teens you can't bring any gum. Because it's a rule for that campus that nobody could chew gum. And then in our conversations with them, we started asking questions. Why is it that nobody can chew gum? Um, for some of us, okay, that's like second nature, chewing gum. And so it was like, why can't we do that? And it, well, it's always been the rule. We've always had that rule. Yeah, but can we ask the question, why? Well, because that's the way we've Hey, do you know what I mean? People get into these traditional rules. And so then we, as we joked about it with Pastor Scott, it was like, well, we have that rule because the kids would put the gum underneath the desk and it became a problem and an issue. So we just made the rule. And we've kept the rule even though we don't have a school anymore. We haven't had a school for 10 years and we still have no gum 
on the campus because we don't know why, other than it was a rule. Okay, so the stronger are the type of people at times, they will say, why do we do what we do? Why are we, let's, let's examine this thing. We have certain standards. And you may keep the same restriction, the same standard in your home, but at times you, re, you reevaluate it. You rethink. Why is it that we say, okay, whatever, okay? Um, for me personally, okay, this was for me and when I first got saved. One of the things that went out of my life was going to movies, going to the movie theater. And it was a reason because very personal because it had to do with the practice of dating in our community where I grew up, the dating and the, and the theater site was very immoral, very immoral activity for teenagers. And so for me, when I first got saved, it was like, I am not going to a theater because that would take me back into that thought process and some of those things we were exposed to. And as time went by, my kids would ask periodically, why can't we go to a theater? Okay, and... It was, there was nothing wrong with them asking that question. It's a good thing to ask. Why is that? Is it the same culturally as it was when I was a kid? Is it the same thing today? And so those types of things sometimes should be reevaluated, should be looked at. The stronger is more inclined to do that, and they seem to have more self-control. With more self-control, what do you do with restrictions and regulations? If there's more internal self-control, what happens to the external restrictions? What did you do with your kids when there's more self-control? Do you increase the rules or do you decrease and give more liberty? Hello? (laughs) You naturally, you start reducing the restrictions. And that's because now the stronger are more focused on the internals and the externals. The kingdom of God is not meats and drink. The kingdom of God is the spirit. And so he's got these two groups, okay, need less regulations. Now, with that in mind, here's where I really, 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 really want to get before we get into the text, okay? Don't confuse and don't mix up this whole study by saying, well, the strong, they encourage more license. That is not true. That license to sin is with neither one of these groups. That's carnal. That's fleshly believers. We're talking about two groups of spiritual believers that do not get involved with license. You can freely do whatever you want. Or do not say that the weak in this text, they're legalist. They are neither. Those are a totally different issue. These are people dealing with their personal battles and they're just struggling. And they're trying to ask these questions. Big question I have is, for me, is which one am I? I want to think immediately, I am strong. But I need to be very honest with you. Okay, I'm both. I'm both. You see, I look at it and say, neither one is wrong. Being, being a strong in some areas, being weak in some areas, neither one of them is wrong. It is just this natural process of Christian growth that says what I'm doing is I'm recognizing where some things don't create a problem for me, but some things might still create a problem for me. And so I'm going to answer and say, to a degree, for me, I am strong in some areas, but I am weak in some areas. There are some things that I may still struggle with. There are some, there's some music that from the 70s when I got saved, there are some songs I don't want to hear. Because as soon as I hear, they take me back to, <laughs> you're saying, yeah, the 70s? They had music back then? Yeah, they did. They did, okay. So there's certain music that I am still weak with. 
my mind, after all these years of being saved, it could take me right back into a certain frame of mind and mindset. There are certain, certain issues that, for temper, for not losing control. For me, one of the big issues for many years was car problems. And God gave me so many of them. So I think the answer is never have a car again. Okay. And that doesn't work either. Okay. But it's a matter of saying, okay, I need to adjust. I need to put restrictions on of how to do it because I don't handle certain things well. And so I recognize that there's a weakness here. But in other areas, the, for me, I don't think movie theaters the same way as I used to think about movie theaters. I don't think, and I alluded to this morning, for me personally, foosball was an issue because when I got saved, the foosball, all we played, and the only place we played was in the bars. And so I associated a lot of the foosball playing with being at the bar, and it took me back to that mindset. And that memory and that like, hey, that was kind of cool. And so there was a period of time that I didn't want to play foosball until I could get my mind under control, my memory more under control. And it's at the point that foosball doesn't trigger that at all. It's not an issue for me. I could go to the shore and take off my glasses and I don't have that weakness that somebody else may have because I couldn't see, okay? But it varies. You have weaknesses in some areas, because we all have some besetting sins, and we need to recognize what they are. So in many ways, the majority of you are stronger, but you have to also recognize there's some weak spots. And so neither one of them is, none of us should get proud to say, I'm strong, 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 or get down on ourselves, well, I have some weaknesses. It's just part of our Christian growth. And so he's talking and he's saying, okay, what do we need to do then? We need to recognize our strengths, recognize our weakness, and what we need to do is avoid what happened in uh, 60 AD. We don't want to do the same thing when these people get together. They became intolerant if somebody had a different view. If it would be like me saying, okay, if you didn't have the same view I had on theaters or foosball, you're not saved. You're not spiritual. That would be foolish. That's wrong. But that was, was starting to happen in the church. They became intolerant. They thought they were spiritually inferior by having the standards or by saying it doesn't bother me. And so they became to the point where they were setting themselves up as a standard. He writes to them. He is saying to them, you've got to change. And he gives instruction. The instruction in Romans 13, verses 8 down through the end of the chapter was this. Every one of you, before I get started with this and talk to the strong and talk to the weak, every one of you remember this. You need to love as God loves. We looked at that this morning. You need to live a godly lifestyle. You've got to be always thinking, godliness, godliness, just because I might not have battle doesn't mean I can get into evil things. You need to live as if you're leaving this world, you're going to meet the Lord any day. Then in chapter 14, he starts getting very pointed and saying, okay, to you strong and to you weak, here's what I'm telling you. Starting with chapter 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive, but not to doubt few dis doubtful disputations. For one believes that he may eat everything. Another who is weak says, I can only eat vegetables. Not to him that, let not him that eat despise him that doesn't eat certain things. Let not him that eats not judge him that goes ahead and eats the meat. For God hath received him. Who are you that judge another man's servant to his own master he stands or falls? Yea, he shall be held up for God is able to make himself stand. Then he goes on in verse 5 and he says one man esteems one day above another another esteems every day to be the same. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regards the day regards it 
it not unto, he regards it unto the Lord, and he that regards not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He that eats not, he does it to the Lord that he doesn't eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. That's why they're spiritual. This isn't carnal Christians who are weak. It is spiritual Christians because every one of them is saying, I'm trying to honor the Lord and live for the Lord no matter where my standard is. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ hath both died and rose and, re- and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. And so why do you judge your brother? Why do you thou set at not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Okay, take those verses. Here's what we got. Some three different statements. He says, here's what you need to start doing. Accept one another. Accept one another. Lord says to the strong, and that's who he was speaking to in verse 1. To the strong, keep on receiving those who are weak. It's a middle voice, receive to yourself. It's the idea of open your arms and welcome them. It's the idea of freely, openly say, we're going to have fellowship. I'm glad to see you. He goes on a little bit, and he makes that, oh, by the way, the same word shows up in chapter 15. Go down to verse 7 of chapter 15. It says, Christ has proslambano us. He has received us. Do that same thing that Christ did. So he's the idea of open friendship, kindness, genuine expression of warmth and welcome to the individuals who disagree with you on personal standards. You accept them. He goes on. He makes another comment to the strong. He says, don't accept them to doubtful disputations. What that means is don't say, hey, come here. I want to talk with you so I can can get into an argument with you. In other words, you don't get together just to argue and debate these different topics. In fact, refuse refuse. Refuse to get into some of these discussions and some of these personal areas. It's just not worth the issue of discussion. And then he writes and he says to those who are weak, he says to the weak, to him that eats not, stop judging those that eat the meat. The word judging there is an unusual word. It has the idea of finding something wrong with them so you isolate from them. It is in some communities, it's called what? Where you look at that person and have nothing ever to do with them shunning. That's the idea. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. If he's a brother and he disagrees with you, you learn to accept him. So he's looking at both the strong and both the weak and saying, you need to change your attitudes or your actions. You need to accept people that don't agree with you. And so he makes a comment in chapter 3, chapter 14, verse 3, gives you the reasons. He says, he says that God received them, therefore you should receive them. He says as you go on, he belongs to God. He's not your servant to tell him what he should do or what he shouldn't do. He's God's servant. To his own master he stands and falls. Oh, and by the way, that those of you who are concerned that they may fall into deep sin if they don't do what you do, God is able to hold them up. God is able to hold them up. Not your rules, not your restrictions. It's God who holds up his servant. So after he said this comment about receiving, he goes on. And he says, not only do we learn to accept one another, but let's make another statement here, okay? Let's talk about the instruction going, adjust your thinking. Adjust the way you think about other people. And he does it in two different ways. In the adjust the thinking, he says in chapter 3, verse 3, he says in the first part, look how he, his command. Let not him that eats despise him that eats not. The word despise 
has this idea to consider them foolish. To say to somebody that says, okay, I can't go to that temple and eat that food because it was, I grew up in that temple and I'm, it really bothers me. I don't want to have any way of buying that meat that might support that temple. I want nothing to do with it. You shouldn't say, oh, how foolish can you be? How stupid can you be? How silly can you be? You're not doing that. You have to recognize that that person has a battle and a struggle and instead of tearing them down, adjust your thinking Do not tear that person down. Do not be condescending towards that person who differs from you in these personal standards. And he says, be very careful. You've got to adjust your thinking. Then he goes on here, okay? And before we do it, here's here's a question I want to pose to you. What do you think about, how do you respond to people who do different than you? What about the person who chooses to not have cable, not have TV? How do you treat them? How do you talk about them? How do you look at that individual? Oops, let me go back. Sorry. What about if they don't go to places that serve alcohol because maybe they have a struggle in their past with alcohol? Do you belittle them in your mind and say, oh, that's silly. You ought not. You ought not to say, okay, those people who say, I don't want to play with a deck of cards. Maybe they had a gambling issue in the past or maybe one of their family members and they just, that's too much of an association for them. Don't belittle them. Don't mock them. Just because it's not a problem for you and this is the tendency we all have is if we don't struggle with it and say, oh, that person won't do those certain things, well, how silly. The, a person won't eat a meal here. Well, how silly can they be? Well, that's their standard. That's their personal standard. We're not supposed to condescend or or mock them. We're supposed to what? Accept them and respect that they may have a different standard personally. And that's their choice. If somebody says, I I really think that I'm going to wear some type of hat to church. Instead of mocking and ridiculing, we should respect that individual. If somebody says, you know, I, I just, you know, I had a pa- mentor, pastor, mentor that did this. He wore long sleeve shirts all the time. And the reason he did it is because he had a variety of tattoos that bothered him and reminded his pastor he wore long sleeve shirts. And you and I don't want to say, well, how silly can you be to wear long sleeve shirts? That was a personal standard for him that he adopted. And out of respect, we accept that person. We don't make fun of them. And I think verse 5 is dealing with this as well. Verse 5, he says, you've got to be fully persuaded in your own mind. I think what he's doing is this. He is saying, listen, those people who make those standards, they are doing it. They are esteeming one day and, and they're saying one day is different than another because they're doing it unto the Lord. Others are saying the days are all the same. They're doing it unto the Lord. You and I need to pause and say, hey, wait a minute. The fact is, some people may have different standards and they are right because this is between them and God. They don't have to agree with me on everything when they are looking at their walk, their struggles, their background. It's between them and the Lord. And guess what? They could be right between them and the Lord. Because maybe in their background it triggers another memory. It has another issue for them. And everyone needs to determine for their own self what verse 7 says, be fully persuaded in your own mind because none of us lives to himself. None of us lives to himself. They are living, they are dying for the Lord Jesus Christ. They are very sincere about this. Adjust your thinking that they are sincere. They are doing it to please the Lord as well as you are doing something different to please the Lord when it comes to a personal standard. And the bottom line is they belong to the Lord. They have to deal with how are they living for the Lord to the best of their ability. Maybe for them, 
Worship is very important in their mindset, their background, that they will want to wear a coat and a tie to every worship service. That is them walking before the Lord, and they do that for their, for their walk with the Lord, that it's important. It puts them in the mind frame and the mindset, and we stand back and we respect that. And don't ridicule them for that. So he's basically saying, number one, accept that person. Number two, adjust your thinking about other people. Recognize that those people are making those decisions based upon their walk with the Lord. Don't belittle them for it. Number three, abandon all, all tendency to make a critical comment. Abandon it. He says several times, stop despising, stop judging. Okay, And he's basically saying the only person that is supposed to judge us is God Almighty, not one another. And he's talked about that idea where he's going on to down to verse 9, 10, 11, where he says, why are you continuing to judge your brother? Why do you set at not your brother? He says, you're going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is between God and you. You have no business condemning them, criticizing them. That is between them and God. So don't do it. And God will judge the individual. God will hold them accountable. And if God's spirit with what they are struggling with has said to them they ought not to do certain things, then pray tell they better not do those things because they're going to be answerable to God. If they are still struggling with a pure thought life and therefore they struggle with the internet and they choose not to have the internet, it is none of your business to be mocking them and ridiculing them and say they're back in the stone age. Do not get involved in that conversation. Do not say when you hear about other, other parents making choices for their family and they don't have the same entertainment, they don't have the same rules, don't you say to your kids, oh, I can't believe that they would do that. You don't know their struggles. You don't know their background. You don't know what they're dealing with in their home. And if they have chosen those standards, you and I ought not to make, we, in fact, we're stop making critical comments. We're to accept we're supposed to adjust our thinking that they are doing that before God as a godly parent making those decisions and we're to abandon all t- attempts, all tendencies, all re- re- remarks that we might make that could be critical of them. Before our kids, before them, that's their decision before God and they have to answer before God. And so we respect that. Do not allow yourself to share or initiate critical comments about others who have different standards. And I'm not talking about what if that person is saying you can't be spiritual unless you have the same standards. Now it becomes legalism. Now it's an issue that we would have to confront. But as long as they're not doing that and they've adopted a standard for where they will go, what they will have in their home, what they want their kids to wear, as long as it's modest and appropriate, that's between them and the Lord. It's done and we respect one another in that regard. You know what he's doing? He's getting right down to where we live. Accepting, adjusting our thinking about others, and abandoning critical remarks. Because that is the issue even today. Is there are people who will not accept others who have different standards. There are people who will not, who just insist on criticizing or mocking people with different standards. There are some who will not give way to the thought that somebody else could differ from me and still be doing it unto the glory of God. And he's gotten very pointed here. 
And he says, whether you're weak or whether you're strong, here's the way you treat one another. Here's how you build unity. You examine therefore what you say, what you think, how you treat others who don't hold to the same things. And you abandon all those criticisms. You adjust your thinking and you learn to accept others who differ from you. His name's Bill. Bill comes walking into a church service like this. Bill is in the campus. He's been saved. He got saved through a campus ministry. He knows he should go to church. He's never been to church. He has no clue. Bill is kind of a free-thinking young man. He doesn't know the normal routine of church, but he's heard. He's gone on the internet, found out that there's a church that preaches the Bible. He liked what he saw on their website, so he comes to church service. It's morning service. The preacher is up here preaching like this, and Bill comes in a little bit late, so he makes a good good Baptist, right? Come in late. And so he starts walking into the church, and he starts at the back looking for a seat. And guess what? Could you guess what happens? can't find one, okay? In fact, he works all the way to the front of the church service, and here he is. He's coming in dressed the way he's used to dressing. His idea of dressing is not this way. His idea of dressing is shorts, you know, t-shirt, and flip-flops. And he's very comfortable with that. He comes walking into a church similar to this, and while the preacher is starting the sermon, he walks all the way to the front, now, some of the people sitting in the pews are just like, oh, oh, oh. you know, how could he come to church this way? Okay? What's going on? And Bill comes all the way up, and he's looking around, and there's no, which is amazing, there's nothing in the front row either. So Bill sits down right there. And some of the people are like, what in the world? Who's this strange dude that has different hair? He's got different look than the rest of us. And all of a sudden, from the back corner over here, stands up one of the leading members of the church, one of the founding members. He's a deacon, 70, 75 years old. And he starts making his way slowly up towards the front. And people are thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, this is going to be tough, but somebody's got to tell this kid, you know, this isn't what you do. And that deacon works all the way up, and others are saying, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in that deacon's shoes, but he's got to do that job. And so he walks all the way up, and then the deacon does the most amazing thing. He pats the kid on the back and he sits down, kicks off his shoes and sits with him with the intent, I'm going to sit here the rest of the service after he's welcomed the kid to the church service. The pastor is is starting to preach, watching all this, and all of a sudden the pastor, when he sees what happened, he stops and says to the congregation, you will never remember what I say here this day, but you will remember a sermon in action of accepting somebody who needs to be growing in the Lord and accepting them where they're at and giving them allowance to grow. He is writing to a body of believers and saying, you need to accept one another without the critical remarks and encourage one another. Is that true in your life? Is that the way you respond to other people who don't have the same standards? 